Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome to our new weekly episode, basically talking all things Sixers, looking back at what happened in the previous week, the week ahead as well. For you guys who don't know, I'm Jazz Kang. He's Mr. Paul Hudrick. Mr. Paul, how long are we going to live off the Mr. Paul thing for? I think we get like two years worth of that, right, Paul? Because Tyrese Maxey called you that? I think it depends on Tyrese Maxey, right? I mean, if he's if he's here and he's a star, I mean, I feel like I got to I gotta keep rolling with it, right? I can't let it go. You got to go with it, exactly. And the, and the better he becomes, the more it's like this, it has like this thing to it, right? You're like, I'll wow. never get rid of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He called, literally, Mr. he called me Mr. Paul. So uh, this is just a fact. That future four-time All-Star and hopefully NBA <laughs> champion Tyrese Maxey referred to me as Mr. Paul. Um, let's jump into things. Big game yesterday, taking on the Bulls. Uh, Hulk Hogan-like effort from DeMar DeRozan, 45 points. Uh, but the Sixers, Joel Embiid, just as good. He had 40 and 10, uh, dominant once again. What did you make uh, of this game, Paul? Because we've seen the Sixers be the Jekyll and Hyde performers. We saw what happened against Dallas in terms of the Mavericks going zone and basically killing the Sixers in the second half of that game. And then we saw them lose to a Wizards team minus Bradley Beal, minus Thomas Bryant. So when you're looking at at yesterday's win, what were your main takeaways from it? Other than the fact that Joel Embiid is just simply still awesome. Yeah. And, you know, that's the biggest thing that always stands out, right, is you watch him play and he's just so dominant. He's so good. And, like, it's funny because Nikola uh, Vucevic is a guy that in the past people have said, like, ah, you know, Vucevic actually gives Embiid trouble. Like, he, he, he gives him a hard time. Yeah, he he did not impose any type of threat on Embiid yesterday, and he didn't do it the last time they played either. Like he's Embiid's just on this different level, and he looks so good. And it was you talk about the Dallas game. I, like I understand it's hard to implement a zone and, and practice that, but Billy Donovan, dude, how could you not watch the second half of that Dallas game and not think to yourself, hmm, maybe we should try a little bit of zone against this team? Um, I will say though, the one thing, and I want to, you know, Maxi was great. I thought again. The shots off the dribble, the threes um, off screens, uh, just uh, the step backs. I mean, they those shots are unguardable. And the more he hits those with regularity, the more dangerous he is off the dribble and just uh, in general, a dangerous player. And like we're going to, you know, we, we've been quibbling over Doc Rivers and, you know, what's his fault, what's not his fault. Blah, blah, blah. My really biggest thing with Doc right now is. Tyrese Maxey is your second best offensive player. I think if you watch this basketball team for long enough, it, it seems pretty apparent. And I don't think they run their offense. They don't run the team as if he's their second best offensive player. So that might be my only quibble with Doc Rivers right now. With that said, the only um, one, I, the only one, <laughs> listen, uh, I don't, I, I'm not as big of a anti doc guy as maybe some others, but that like, you know, that, and then obviously the, the rotation stuff, the, the all bench line of strive me absolutely batty. I, I don't understand it at all, but uh, and then on top, uh, to, with all that said, Tobias Harris actually had a really good second half. He was really big in the fourth quarter, which is a big thing that I know people like to kill him for, and I get it. But he had 11 in the fourth quarter um, and a couple big baskets. He had that dunk, which is like, dude, just do that. Like when you're underneath the basket, just dunk the basketball. Uh, he did that. He got an M1. It was a big play. Seemed to give them a little life and momentum. 
Uh, so that was good. But I think Jazz to me, like what if you want me to like look at this game and take something like going forward, um, like a big picture thing. You look at the, the you know the, the game that Demar Derozan had. Demar Derozan's having an outstanding season. He he's an MVP you know candidate in his own right. I'd say with the Absolutely. season yeah. Chicago's had and the year he's having. But you know he goes for forty five, and they have no answer with with Thibel out. They have no answer. It, it, it was it was it was horrible. At one point, Doc just threw Furkan Korkmaz on him. I was like, okay, let's just you know let's just pray. And it's like that's not a good strategy. You need to have something. Um, I thought Tobias Harris actually did the best job against them. Oddly enough. Uh, but I think, but I think it highlights a bigger issue with the Sixers as far as like perimeter defense. Thibel's great. Uh, I think Thibel is a defensive player of the year candidate type of guy at some point in his career. Like I think he's that good defensively. But like in the second half of the Dallas game, you see where his weaknesses really hurt them. Where when they're in the half court offense, if a team goes zone or really overly aggressively double teams Joel Embiid, if Matisse Thibel can't make them pay for that. Um, he's almost, he's a complete non-factor on the other end. They're playing, you know, five against four offensively, which is dangerous. Um, so there's that. And then you look at Danny green who, you know, Danny has fought through a lot of injuries. He's not the youngest guy and he just doesn't have what he used to, he's still smart. He's still got quick hands. He's still a a, a solid defender in a lot of ways, but he's, he really, I mean, he's lost a step. I mean, and that's not, you know, a slight on Danny who I think if anything gets a little bit undervalued around here, but that, that would be like my biggest concern. Like one of my, I mean, I have several concerns, but one of them is um, even if, as I'm sure we're going to get to, even if you make a deal for James Harden and, and you give up Ben Simmons, I think you still have some other holes that you have to fill otherwise. And one of them, I think the biggest one um, might be perimeter defense. I don't know that they have enough perimeter defense that can also help a little bit on offense um, to make that work uh, uh, on top of rebounding on top of ball handling. So um, James Harden wouldn't solve everything. He would solve a lot of things, but I think those are other glaring weaknesses this team still has, and you could see that against Chicago. Yeah, and Paul, you're looking at the lack of athleticism, really, right? I mean, that's what they they have, especially coming off that bench. Like, you look at Matisse Thibel, he is a freak athlete. Obviously, Joel Embiid's a very good athlete. Uh, coming off the bench, you have Drummond, who, again, even at seven foot, the guy is like a human pogo stick. He can jump up, and his, even though he's inconsistent as hell, I mean, he's, he's, he's an athletic guy, and you're looking at what they're lacking on the perimeter. And you mentioned this, it's like, okay, you have George Niang, who again, very nice piece. I actually think he's been great uh, underrated signing for, for the Sixers, not the most athletic guy. They're not going to be able to defend him. So you look at the limitations that they have, like you mentioned that when Thibault has been out, which he has been several times this year, we see how bad the defense takes a hit. Looking at, at, at this as well, though, Paul, like going back to that Dallas game, which feels like it took seven and a half hours to play because of the basket thing in the first half, but Doc's lack of adjustments. Right. Let's get into this, too, because we talk about the, the zone thing. It's like, OK, the blueprint is out there. You mentioned Billy Donovan. You're like, dude, you want to slow these guys down? Just go zone. They haven't been able to figure it out all season. And I've talked about this a bit with Jackson Frank on, uh, on the podcast. But when you're looking at this, what do you think Doc can do differently to maybe implement a different motion, a different set that, hey, at least you're trying to get Joe the ball at the top of the key or at the high post and or at least trying to get penetration with somebody like Maxi? That'll make the, the defense collapse. And then again, you're going to have to hit the outside shots. But where do you look at some adjustments that all can make, whether that's with the technical aspect of it or with just the rotations that when they're specifically going against the zone? And this is where I defend Docker a little bit, because to me, the issues with zone are more personnel driven than they are coaching. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I do think Doc Rivers, you know, to your point, can do some things better. Uh, but from a personnel standpoint, you need guys who can can dribble and, and take people off the dribble and shoot. And 
they don't have enough of that. They have basically like one guy who can do that in Maxi, who's able to both do both, who's able to take people off the dribble, get penetration into the paint, and then hit shots. Um, you know, Seth Curry, for as good as he is, um, and the other thing with like with 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 Seth that drives everyone insane is just his hesitation sometimes. Where if he has a slightly open look, he won't just fire. He'll pump fake or he'll take a little dribble and then take a long two. Like against the zone. You have to be quick. You got to make quick decisions and you have to fire it quick. You can't be indecisive. So I think with the zone, it, it's made Seth, who can be an indecisive player, more indecisive. Same with Tobias Harris, who can be an indecisive player. Um, I think those are two big issues. Um, I thought the one thing that looked good when they did it a couple times, but I, I don't think they went back to it enough. And this speaks to maybe what Doc can do. I thought when Tobias kind of flashed at the foul line and they got him in inside and they played him and B with that little high low. I thought they actually had some success off that. So, I mean, I think that could be a thing that they could keep going off of. And and with how well Joel has passed the ball and, and, you know, his ability to find shooters, I think that's something that can work going forward. So I I, I was a little bit – because if you watch the first half of that Dallas game, they did that with Tobias. He, he flashed a couple of times in, at the – at like the elbow or the foul line. High low to Embiid. They got two buckets out of it. Dallas went out of the zone. Then in the second half, they started with it, and it's like the Sixers forgot everything they just did in the first half. It was so bizarre. They do this thing where they just literally move the ball around the perimeter, like station to station. And it's like that's not how you beat a zone. You can't beat a zone just by passing the ball around the around the horn. That's like you've got to get yeah. inside of it. And I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. Um, and that might speak to two jazz, like the, what I talked about before, where uh, maybe Doc needs to just kind of acknowledge more that right now Tyrese Maxey is the second best offensive player on this team, and you need to run things through him. And I think. When you're talking about how to beat a zone, he's the guy probably most capable of, of any player you have to do that. Paul, when you're looking at at, at the big picture stuff now, we're, we're we're looking at this team that going into Christmas at 16 and 16, of course, had a ton of COVID-related absences, missing Joel Embiid for those 11 games that they did overall. Um, things look like okay, this is going to fall by the wayside, especially after that encouraging eight and two start. But then again, like I mentioned, they had injuries, uh, COVID stuff, where guys had to sit out because the protocols. But now you're looking at what the Sixers have done since. It's really Christmas Day. They're 16 and five, uh, still sitting in fifth in, in the East, only a game and a half. It's it's super tight at the top of the conference there. Uh, the Raptors actually overtook the Nets. You know what I mean? They're sitting in the in the play playoff spot. Well, the Nets are again, once Kevin Durant comes back, I'm sure that'll that'll change too. But you're you're looking at this big picture stuff, big game coming up tomorrow against uh it's gonna be a measuring stick, right? You're taking on one of the best teams in the NBA in terms of the Phoenix Suns, uh, the best team at 42 and 10 at this point. But you're looking at this. And we'll get into Thursday, which we know is a big day as well. But when you're looking at the Sixers going to this game, they've beaten the Warriors already, right? They've, they've beaten some of these upper echelon teams. They beat Brooklyn. When you're looking at what goes right for the Sixers against these high-end and, and you know upper echelon squads in the NBA, where do you think they need to be at in order to win that game against more? And what, other than Joel Embiid, let's say, scoring 40 and, and 15, which seems like it's happening on the regular now, what else do you think that you need to see from the Sixers Tuesday against Phoenix? When they've beaten those teams that you've talked about, it's been basically everything's gone right. I mean, quite frankly, um, Joel Embiid's been Joel Embiid. He's been great on those nights. Uh, there's been a few nights where he hasn't been um, over the last couple months. And then everything else has gone right, um, whether it's Maxi really stepping up in the scoring department, like that Brooklyn game, he hit a couple threes late in that game, hit a couple big shots, whether it's Seth Curry stepping up and having big nights um, to really compliment Joel Embiid's offense, whether it's Tobias Harris. Basically, it's just like, someone other than Joel Embiid stepping up is basically the recipe. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Maxi, whether it's Seth, whether it's Tobias, it, everyone basically just has to play their role and play it 
perfectly um, for them to win games. Um, the other thing is, too, if you don't have Matisse Stiebel, I don't think you can win this game because if you had to go up against Chris Paul and Devin Booker without Matisse Stiebel, I think you're in an awful lot of trouble. Um, uh, and I think, you know, last year, I, I vividly remember even they played Phoenix in Phoenix and they had Ben Simmons and and they struggled to contain both. I think Booker went for like 46 or something like that. Um, and Chris Paul is fantastic as well. So um, when you're dealing with two guards that can play make at, and make shots at the level that both of those guys do, um, if you're missing your top perimeter defender, you're, you're already at a huge disadvantage. Um, you know, Danny Green's health is going to be so huge going forward. Like if he can be healthy, if he could be the guy he was last year uh, physically and health wise, that's a huge help. Um, but again, I, I still think perimeter defense is where this team, that's kind of their biggest flaw right now. So that's my biggest concern. Um, Joel Embiid has done really well um, in certain defense. Like I, I think overall defensively, he's been outstanding this year and he defends the pick and roll very, very well. Um, he didn't have a particularly great night um, against the Mavericks. He didn't have a particularly great night, uh, quite frankly, against Chicago until maybe later in the game. I thought he was better in the fourth quarter. So it depends on him too. It depends on where he is physically depends on where kind of his brain is. And, and, you know, Deandre Ayton is obviously a fantastic roller and finisher and lob threat. Um, and then, you know, and the other thing is to, um, rebounding, you know, they've really, the Sixers have really struggled to rebound the basketball. So it's, you, you gotta at least be even, right. You can't just let Phoenix get like 15 offensive rebounds. Like that's a huge thing too. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really just a matter of everybody. Joel B has to be great. And then, and then other people just have to play their role around him. And that's how you beat, that's how that, that's how they managed to beat the Warriors beat the Nets and beat all those upper echelon teams is Joel Embiid's greatness and other people helping them where they need to, where Joel Embiid needs help. Uh, Paul, you mentioned the rebounding, the Sixers still the worst rebounding team in the NBA, which is, again, weird when you look at the correlation, the fact where they are on the standings, but yeah, that's been an issue all season. And of course not having been in the lineup hurts that being a little bit smaller in the backcourt, especially when you're starting off Maxi and, and Seth Curry also doesn't aid there as well. And Tobias Harris, best suited to play a four, not a traditional four in terms of the way he plays. Uh, looking at this now, let's get into, we all know what this is. This is the week that the NBA trade deadline is. We've been looking forward to this really um, since the beginning of the season because we're hoping to get a resolution to the elephant in the room, which is the Ben Simmons stuff. Don't know how, what's going to happen with that, but interesting report from uh, Bleacher Reports, Jake Fisher. He was on the pod with us a couple weeks ago, uh, basically saying Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe are the 76ers players most often mentioned as potential trade candidates that's according to rival execs what does that fetch you what 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 is paul reed isaiah joe and maybe a first round future first rounder or you know a highly protected first rounder four or five years down the line what does that get you at this point if you if you're you're mentioning this and we've talked about this numerous times on the pod paul is hey they need to get some shooting they still need some athleticism what kind of player is is a combination let's just say if it is a paul reed isaiah joe and a first rounder you think you're getting that yeah, I mean there are options. Uh, I just wrote a piece today for 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 the site. Um, that's like six guys that they could target if if you know a Ben Simmons trade doesn't happen. Really, quite frankly, even if it does, and they want to add other pieces, um, a guy like Kendrick Williams from Oklahoma City, I think, is a guy that maybe not a lot of people know about, but I think he'd be an outstanding fit because of the things we just talked about. Um, he's six six and can guard one through four, um, and he can rebound. Uh, I think he's like seven rebounds per thirty six minutes for a wing player. That's excellent. Um, so you, that's two pretty big boxes that we talk about with Ben Simmons, the two big things from, that they're missing, um, rebounding perimeter defense. And he provides both of those. Um, and he, I, I don't, 
the rumor was it was a premium first round pick, not a premium first round pick. I shouldn't say uh, a first round pick for him was kind of the going rate. Could you perhaps talk OKC into, you know, a younger player like an Isaiah Joe or a Paul Reed who's more of like a lottery ticket than Kendrick Williams, who's 27 years old and probably has peaked. He probably is what he is. Um, maybe, maybe you could talk Presti into that or, or maybe one of those guys in a second, maybe that could get it done. Um, but with Williams too, I mean, he shoot, he doesn't, it's not a high volume, but he's over 40% from three. Um, and he's not like stiff offensively. He's not a bad passer. He can dribble a little bit. He can do some things. He is athletic. Uh, you add those things into the mix. I think it, it certainly adds to the depth and elevates kind of the rest of the team. And, uh, you know, you're not solely relying on Matisse Thibel as kind of your only above average perimeter defender. So he's a guy I would certainly ha- have, have take a long, hard look at. It's tricky to do, but I mean, I, I would certainly be interested in Kemba Walker if, if he's a guy that the Knicks, I mean, it seems like the Knicks, that's not a relationship that's going to work out very well and that they're both sides would probably like to be done with each other. But the issue is Kemba's number, he's at 8 million. So you're talking like Korkmaz plus like a young guy or like, you know, a lower contract, which value wise isn't that great but to your point Kemba Walker can handle the basketball um he can shoot the basketball and he can play make those are three really big sore spots especially if they don't trade Ben Simmons for a perimeter playmaker um Kemba's not the guy he once was I mean clearly he he just got was a four-time all-star Sixers fans know he hung 60 on the Sixers like a few years ago like he was unbelievable at one point he's not that guy but if you look at him like a a microwave scorer off the bench that can just provide you some offense. You know, when doc loves his all bench lineups, when you put a guy like Kevin Walker out there for 15, 20 minutes a night, maybe he can, you know, get a little hot and score you some points as Maxi's backup. So I, I think if you look at him from that context, I think he could actually be really valuable for this team. But again, I think that trade, like that's, that's going to be really tough numbers wise. I mean, there's other guys out there too, jazz. I mean, you know, maybe like someone like a just Pacers have two of them, Justin holiday, or Tory Craig, I think would be interesting as, you know, wing perimeter, like three and D guys. Um, you know, uh, those are the, those are the guys that are top, off the top of my head. Like a Corey Joseph from Detroit is a solid veteran point guard who can hit an outside shot. Um, so yeah, I mean, th- those are the types of players you're looking for, for when you're talking about Paul Reed, Isaiah, Joe, but not the sexiest names, but they're players that can help you and can elevate you. And like, I- I'm a big Paul Reed guy. I'm a big Isaiah Joe guy, but right now, I know Paul Reed can't help them right now because Doc Rivers, quite frankly, just doesn't trust Paul Reed. You can see it. Uh, but Paul Reed still has a lot of skill. He's got a lot of upside. You could see another organization projecting him into the rotation right now and possibly using him as like a, a block for the future. Um, Joe, I, I quite frankly, I think Isaiah Joe should be playing right now for this Philadelphia 76ers team. But again, I think it leads to back to an issue with Doc Rivers and trust. And if so, if Doc's not going to trust him to play him, then get a veteran that, that can if you're trying to win a title. Yeah, if he's rolling with guys like Ferk over over Isaiah Joe like consistently and showing, yeah, I don't get it either. I'm with you. I mean, I, I like what Isaiah Joe brings, and I think you know at his development curve where he's at, the more he's getting minutes, I think you would have seen him progress a lot more as we're you know in February now. That again, you're not going to play. You don't want to be playing Isaiah Joe 25 minutes a night, but if you're getting him 10, 12, 13 minutes a game, stuff that you're giving Ferk to again had a great start to the season. Ferk did. We're like, all right, that looks like a great value signing at three million per. And now it's falling off a cliff. You're like, damn, let's kind of get rid of that contract. So I think you're right. You know, I would have been nice to see Isaiah Joe get some more run. He can, he is hitting his outside shot consistently defensively. Again, not great in terms of one-on-one defending, but team defending. He's in the right lanes. He's, he's active on the defensive end and he's moving. And that's what you want to see from the younger guys. Uh, looking at the big picture stuff and Tom West did a great job of kind of summarizing what we've seen 
uh, and what we're hearing through multiple reports on during deadline week uh, regarding the Simmons stuff. Uh, James Horton, we talked about this last week when, when Shams came out from The Athletic saying, you know, they, they have at least discussed it and Brooklyn's open to discussion. That's been refuted by other insiders. Jake Fisher now saying, hey, you know, they're going through back channels. What do you make of all this? Like, because even Steve Nash, when he came out and said, hey, man, like, basically, we're not trading the guy, right? And when I, I feel like when you, and anything can change and anything can happen. I mean, it's, it's just the reality of the NBA world. But when you're looking at the fact that coaches come out and said this, the fact that we're hearing from, you know, Kyrie Irving saying, hey, man, like, we're pretty engaged in what we're trying to do here, which is win a championship, is what do you make of everything that we've heard? Like, again, Jake Fisher's report, Woj and uh, Ramona Shelburne. Again, these are, you know, two of the best in the business. Uh, Keith Pompey, uh, most one of the most plugged in Sixers guys in, in, in the entire NBA media landscape, all basically saying that, okay, there might have been little fluffy discussions here and there, nothing really direct, no real negotiations. Is this mean you feel like, hey, that hardened thing is just a punk dream and it's not going to happen before Thursday at least? I don't want to say that just because it's there's just so much smoke. There's so much smoke around it. Um, you know, and Jake Fisher obviously wrote that piece, you know, a, a little while back, kind of outlining all these reasons why James Harden isn't happy. And then Shams, you know, last week comes out with that piece, kind of saying all the reasons why the Nets aren't happy with James Harden. So it's hard to see all of that and not think that there is at least something to the idea that they would look into possibly moving him. I, I don't think it's crazy to think that now it's bizarre, right? Like, Hey, this might happen, but they're the GMs aren't actually talking. They're communicating through back channels and like, that's bizarre. But like when I look at the whole NBA landscape jazz, like it's all been weird because we've seen rumors. We've seen, it feels like it, you know, the age we're living in where everything's reported on and everything goes up and everything's aggregated in a hurry. It seems like teams maybe are being a little bit tighter and a little bit smarter with their information. At least to me, it kind of feels like that. So maybe we're not getting as much. And because of that, you're hearing like, no, there's no way it's not going to happen. Like this trade. Oh no, the Jeremy Grant, that's not happening. Oh, Sabonis. No, they want way too much. Like you're not hearing like anything. Like there's like no, there's like no smoke around like the rest of the league. And then like out of nowhere, Karis LeVert gets traded yesterday. So there was no rumors about that, right? I mean, there were yeah. some whispers of what the Pacers might have wanted. I think it was like two first-round picks Stein put out there. That's what they wanted for Lerfer, but there was no, oh, this team's interested in him, or he might get, like, there was none of that. So I just feel like there's not a lot of chatter. Like, I feel like a lot of the chatter is, is all of us being so desperate for something that it's almost like we're taking all these little morsels and making them into something bigger. Um, but with that said, like, if you ask me right now, what do I think? I think that Ben Simmons is still a sixer after the deadline. I think James Harden is still a Brooklyn net, but I'm not going to say there is a zero. Like there is more than a 0% chance that, that, that it goes down. I, I truly believe that because there's just been too much smoke. There's too much weirdness happening. Um, the, the idea that Harden is kind of like telling the Nets ownership one thing. And then there's other stuff going on. But like, I, I refuse to like i can't buy that that none of this is real right like i can't buy that jake fisher and, and shams are lying uh, or that you know the people that are talking to them are lying like i can't buy that so like there's got to be something to it so do i think anything happens do i think there's a Harden simmons deal no I, I i don't think so by the trade deadline but i, I certainly would not be shocked if, if there is a dialogue that started and that something maybe actually does get worked out it, it would not surprise me at all yeah, like and like you mentioned, it's just there's we've heard too much, 
You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's and these guys, Jake Fisher, Sean Tarani, I'm not you know some Mickey Mouse people who are just coming up and saying, "Hey, sources right. are telling me." It's like they have sources; they know what they're talking about. So there is something to it. I'm with you. I'm not holding my breath that it's going to be a hardened deal before the deadline. I really do think, from a Nets perspective, they're looking at this and saying, "Look, man, we want to go with our big three. There's a reason why we put this team together, uh, even if Harden walks in free agency. You know, we're going to do everything we can to win a championship." And that. that organization is all in on on bringing a trophy to, to Brooklyn. So I don't see them doing that at this point. I'm with you. But Jake Fisher also had an interesting tidbit that Simmons has said he's never going to play for the franchise again, which I believe we are totally in agreement on that. That's not going to happen. But Jake did add that, hey, some of his inside circle are telling him, dude, just go back and play if you don't end up getting traded. What do you think the chances of that happening are, are, could come to fruition? Um, hmm. well, let me put it this way, Paul. Actually, higher than zero, but but not much higher. Let's put it this way: what what is more likely, Ben Simmons comes back to the Sixers, or James Harden is on the Sixers on Thursday? Go ahead, what what do you put those percentages at? Probably that James Harden is a Sixer. <laughs> uh, I would probably like if I had to like I would put like there's like maybe a twenty percent chance that James Harden is a Sixer, and then as far as like Ben Simmons coming back and playing for the Sixers if he's not traded. That's like hovering around 1% for me because I, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it does not seem likely. I, I'll say this. Um, one of our uh, – Sean Kennedy actually made the joke that like, you know, of, of course the people around him want him to play because there's a lot of money on the table and that money tends to trickle down. So yeah, They ain't making any if he's not on the court. That's <laughs> exactly. the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I can understand why some people around him might suggest to him that he should go play basketball. But um, if he's – I don't know if he's held out this long. Uh, what's another couple months, I guess. Um, and if you're if you've eaten this much money, you're willing to eat this much money. What's what's another you know twelve million between friends at this point? Uh, if you've already, I mean, it's just silly to even talk about because like for obviously for like we can't even put that into context for us. Like it's it's insane. Um, but yeah, I I, I I have a hard time seeing it. I will say this though, I do believe that if he chose to come back. One, I think the team would welcome him back with open arms. There would be they, he wouldn't need to apologize. He wouldn't need to. I think they would say, "Okay, cool, you're here, you're in, let's go." Like I really do. I, I don't think I don't think Joel Embiid would would care. Like I don't think he'd want an apology. Danny Green, you know, Coach Rivers. Like I don't think any of them would be like, "No, no, he needs to come here and no." They'd be like, "As long as he's here to play ball, let's roll. Like let, let's go win a championship." So, and then on top of that, clearly, if he were to come back, he will get crushed when he is announced um his first game back like no doubt about it the fans will let him have it and i don't blame them at all i get it 100 with that said it won't last that long if he comes out he plays hard he plays well and they win some games everybody will forget every like winning cures everything if they win games he plays well nobody will care about the last eight months um everyone will get excited about the playoffs no one will even care so I, I like I said, one percent chance I'd put on that. But if he does, I, I could see, I could see a scenario where it, it would work. And then to top it all off, I think it's kind of ironic in a way that this version of Joel Embiid and this version of Tyrese Maxey are two players that really complement Ben Simmons extremely well. Um, and that would he would be he could just slide right into that starting five. Um, as kind of like, a, I guess you would say a wing at that point, he'd kind of be your three. 
Um, and he would slide in there very nicely and play a really big role screening for Maxi, finding those duck-ins in the dunker spot off and beating, you know, the Matisse Thibault, what he's been doing, Ben Simmons doing that instead. Like, and I just, it's a shame. I keep saying disappointed because that's what I am, man. Like as a basketball fan, it's disappointing that we will never, you likely never get to see that. Cause I think it, it could have a chance to be something special. Um, and instead it looks like we're just going to get, you know, no Ben Simmons trade at the deadline and then left to ponder what's going to happen in, you know, in June, July around the draft or free agency. See the, fu- the funny part too, is it's like, when you look at the fact that Simmons has been gone all season, it's, it's also funny to look at Tyrese Maxey wouldn't be what he is. I believe if, if Simmons was in the lineup and that's not saying Maxey wouldn't have eventually developed into being, the you know the player that he's the caliber of player that he is right now it just he wouldn't have had the opportunity wouldn't have the ball in his hands making the transition to being a point guard so like you mentioned i mean if ben does again i'm with you i think it's i even think it's less than one percent you know what i mean it's something you know whatever it is but if he does come back if ben wants to kick some of that fine money to us we'll take no problem and try and pump him up as well just a, a message there for ben simmons but if you're looking at this like if he does come back let's say and and you look at this and again i, I know it's not likely to happen but you think that puts the Sixers right at the top of the Eastern Conference, like just in terms of being a contender? Because, uh, you know, I'm with you too. Like he comes back, that playmaking responsibility isn't as much on him because Tyrese Maxey's been able to take on a lot of that load this season. Like where would you put the Sixers if, again, the less than 1% chance that we believe, where would you put the Sixers if he does end up, you know, randomly coming back? Because there is, there is, there is a silver lining for him to come back. Of course, he could be done with the And I, we know that he's done with the franchise, I think, ultimately. But to me, if you're looking at this from an objective point of view, it's like, dude, you come back, you play, you're going to still get some money. You're going to recoup some of the money you lost. You're going to bring up your value. So you might not get stuck being traded to a Sacramento and spend three years there. Or you get stuck in a in a, in a a market or, or a franchise that just, you know, isn't going to work. And, and we've seen some of these struggling teams. And again, OKC, I think it's a good market. But that franchise is nowhere near going to be good for the next three seasons. So there is some sort of silver lining and there is a benefit to him to come back and play if a deal doesn't get done. But let's wrap up on this because we're going to be talking about this leading up to Thursday. I'm sure we're going to have tons of rumors coming down the pipeline over the next 72 hours or so. Do you think ultimately the Sixers do anything remotely? I don't want to say big and I don't want to downplay Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe. But do you think there's any move that they make? that maybe kind of shifts their roster composition and we're looking at whether it's Ben Simmons or not. Do you think they'll make any sort of impact deal on before Thursday's deadline? I do. Uh, so uh, again, if you had to you know, gun to my head, do I think Ben Simmons gets traded? I'm, I'm still leaning. No. Um, as we sit here, not to say that I, and as crazy as it sounds, there's still actually a lot of time left. Like a lot can happen between now and, and Thursday at 3 PM. Like a, a lot can happen. So um, I don't want to rule anything out, but if, you know, as we sit here today, I, I think it's as Daryl already put it. I think it's more unlikely than likely that he has moved. With that said, they still have other pieces, other picks, other things they can do to help improve the roster. Like maybe there's a guy on their radar that we we're not even talking about that no one even knows about. Um, Maury has done things like that in the past. You look at what he did. You know that that complicated fourteen trade he made to get Robert Covington at the deadline at Houston a couple of years back. I mean. There's nothing to say that he can't do something similar here where he, you know, moves around a lot of parts and a lot of pieces and it winds up getting a player that can make a really big impact. Um, would it make them a championship team? I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the guy, depends on what it is. Um, you know, to be quite frank, like the guys I listed in my six players, like to me, no, no none of those guys, uh, to me, one of those guys can maybe make the difference between 
you being just a second round team and maybe being an Eastern Conference Finals team, I, maybe. Um, but as far as making them a title contender, I don't know. I, I don't know that that guy is out there, but I wouldn't put it past Maury. I, I think there are other attractive pieces on this roster that if a piece like that is out there, you know, beyond the Ben Symmetry, a piece that could that could elevate them, if Darren Maury's going to find it and he's going to try to acquire it. Well, you know what the good part is, Paul? We're going to get our answer legitimately almost like exactly 72 hours from now we're going to get our answer if they do make a move with ben simmons we're going to talk about that for four days straight we all know that as well we're going to talk about the return if they don't make a ben simmons deal at least we can just focus on basketball and we'll be like this is the team that they got let's see how far they're going to go come time for the playoffs a team with an mvp candidate yeah exactly and we're going to watch joel and be do give an all-time season at this point by the way i'll quickly we'll add this before we wrap up I love watching him play simply for the fact that I grew up in the 90s. So getting to see this guy doing like old school post moves and like drop steps when he's catching the ball and spin moves. I'm like, I miss this kind of basketball because we don't see it very often. And as we see, other teams have no clue how to defend it because they grew up in this time of, hey, we're just going to shoot threes and, and pass the ball in the perimeter and hope to get some open jumper. So I'm, I'm loving watching Joel Embiid play basketball this season. He's like, I, I I tweeted it yesterday. He's like Shaq with a step back three. Like yeah. it's just, it's, yeah. it's mind boggling. Like, because there is no one in the NBA that can match his sheer strength and size. And then on top of that, he's so damn skilled. So he can do all the Shaq stuff like you're talking about. Like he can seal people off and then just crush them underneath and dunk on their heads. Um, he could do that drop step move and just no one wants to get in his way. But then he can also take you off the dribble and hit a mid-range shot in your eye. Or he could do the step back to like a Vucevic like he did yesterday. Hit a step back three in a big spot. Like he's, it, it's, there is, it, it, he is a unicorn. There is there's been nothing like him and I'm not sure that there will ever be anything like him going forward. It's just, it's unreal to watch. You know, he, he had this one play last week against the wizards where he like immediately upon catching the ball in the post, like his leg was already wrapped around Daniel Gafford and he just went and hammered it. I don't know if you remember that one. Like, and I'm like, man, I miss seeing plays like that. And like you said, you have a big man like this, who's playing at this level. And again, not the traditional big man in terms of the shacks and the Hakeem's and the Tim Duncan where it's, you know, exclusively, within 12 to 15 feet of the basket. This guy's doing it from everywhere. So I almost think, and again, we've discussed this too, it might not be punting the season completely by not making a deal, but you are kind of not giving him the support that he deserves in order to chase that championship because he's at that level this year. And given the injury history, given how we know big men tend to age in the NBA, I do almost think it's criminal that they're, they're wasting this, this performance from, from Joel Embiid. I will say this, though. I, I don't necessarily disagree, and I, I certainly understand that urgency from fans who see how great he is and how much he dominates every single night and think, like, man, like, if only, like, if only, you know, they, they could have player X for Ben Simmons and, like, let's go and let's try to win a championship. But, you know, Joel Embiid isn't complaining, right? I mean, he's saying we're good. We got everything we need here. He seems to be in lockstep with the organization. Um, but, but in all fairness, Paul, we, he wouldn't say it publicly, even if he wasn't like, Damn, he, come on. I, I don't he think though? He, you think so? He you, might. You, okay. Okay. He might. If he, if he really felt like this team's wasting my prime and I need to go for it this year, if he really felt that way, I think absolutely he would be at least – passive aggressively saying something about it like knowing him i just i think yeah i think he would be, uh, like of course like i hear what you're saying and like he he wants to help the team any way he can so he doesn't want to hurt leverage so he doesn't want to like go too nuts over the top saying they need a deal but i think if he felt that way he would voice it some way somehow um to let kind of the organization know like hey yeah yeah you you need to make a deal the other thing is too i i think we're all maybe a little bit short-sighted when we talk. Uh, and I get, again, uh, like I said, I get it. 
Um, he's having a great year. He's a great player and, and he's a big man. He's had an injury history. So you want to capitalize in his mind. And I don't think he's incorrect in his mind. He probably believes he is just entering his prime. Um, he's 27 years old. Um, he'll be 28 in March. He's having the best seat. Like he was an MVP runner up last year and is playing better this year. So for, you know, it, yes, like this is part of his championship window, but I think he believes his window is beyond this year. So I think that's another reason why, yes, I think it's organization. He wants to help them and he trusts them. But I think too, he truly believes he is just scratching the surface of what he can ultimately be. And we've, and we've seen him grow so many aspects of his game. You mentioned, you know, that video that they show of him, you know, copying, emulating, you know, Jordan and, and Kobe and these guys adding these moves to his, his repertoire. We've seen that now again, you know, we've talked about this too is, his passing out of double teams, he's getting rid of it so much faster and, and finding the right player and not forcing things. I, I think he's just been a treat to watch. And like you mentioned, after this, we've got 28 games left. So or after the deadline, we'll have 28 games left. So either way, we're going to be good because we're going to be discussing a big trade or we're going to be like, hey, screw it. You know what? We're going to watch Joel Embiid for another couple months until we get into the playoffs. Uh, let's wrap things up there, Paul. Just for people who don't know, we're going to be doing live coverage throughout deadline day on Thursday. We'll be doing a live stream like this at noon. And then we're also going to have a wrap-up show, which will be more of a podcast that'll come up later in the afternoon. But if the Sixers do do anything, even if it's a minor deal involving involving a player like Paul Reed, Isaiah Joe, or they do something, you know, flipping some picks in order to get anybody in, we'll have some instant reaction for you through our Liberty Ballers Twitter account. Thanks for joining us for this one, and we'll catch up with you all again next week.